They gave me the audio feed, so I'm bringing it to you guys. Go ahead and hit it up and go subscribe to their podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. The Little Dubs and Uncle Mac show. We're talking a lot of football. These guys get into wrestling talk and they talk literally everything sports. So it's always a good time talking to these guys. So go check it out. Little Dubs and Uncle Mac show. And here's the show. Welcome everybody to week 12 of the Little Dubs and Uncle Mac show. I'm Uncle Mac. I'm Little Dubs. And we have our special guest, a recurring guest host, Alex, here with us, the Fantasy Football Hustler. How you been, man? What up, what up? Doing good. A lot of crazy football this weekend, I'll tell you that much. A lot of studs and a, a whole lot of duds. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So there's a lot going on, obviously. You know, last week uh, we talked a little bit, and the last two weeks we've been talking a little bit about the eight-team playoff that's been proposed due to COVID. Uh, so that's something that we can dive into in a little bit. But overall, here we are, just about, what, the midway point, a little over the midway point for some teams. And the playoff picture looks like it's coming in to focus probably not at all at this point. We have drama in the NFC South. The AFC West is probably the one that's the most secure, but the Chiefs haven't been able to beat the Raiders yet this year. Only played them once, I admit. Uh, in the NFC West, you know, we had talked about that being potentially the best division in football a few weeks back. It's definitely the most competitive with regards to three teams being tied for first place, heading in a Thursday night football's matchup between the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Uh, and then you look around, you know, you see... The Patriots may have gotten back in this thing after a big upset win last night against the Ravens, even though they were at home in New England. You head you know, into the different divisions. The Packers looked like they have a stronghold in the NFC North. But overall, guys, where do you think we're headed with this? Do you think we're going to have any surprises? Do you think we're going to have any collapses as we head into the second half of the NFL season? Um, you know, I don't know. I think uh, everything's pretty set and on. I think the shockers are going to be that the Dolphins will make the playoffs. I think the surprise will be the Ravens falling off, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the Ravens, and they're 6-3, and three, and then you look over at the NFC West, and those teams are, you know, a three-way tie at 6-3. and three. But you got to look at those four te- you know, those teams and say, the teams that are 6-3 and three in the NFC West look a lot better than the Ravens at 6-3. and three. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. What do you think, Alex? The AFC, I mean, it just seems like it's wide open, you know, right now, like as far as like the wild card spots. I mean, you know, the Chiefs, I mean, and the Steelers, they're like, you know, top heavy right now. But other than that, I mean, Bills at seven and three, but then you got Ravens at six and three, Browns at six and three, Raiders at six and three, Titans and Colts at six and three, like, uh, it's going to come down to divisional games for sure. You know, who's losing week 16, week 17, but it would be really cool to see an 18 playoff. I mean, it just always seems like, I know it's, uh, it's tough because I mean, you don't really, you want to limit their games, like literally every extra game, you know, just so many people can get hurt and lead to injuries and whatever. And, you know, just ruin things. But with the way that, I mean, everything's going in the AFC, that'd be cool to see it. NFC, 
can we just get rid of the NFC East? Like, can they not be included <laughs> in the playoffs? Because uh, whoever limps in there is uh, – <laughs> that's a buy for whoever plays them. Right. That's why the number one seed so important right now in the <laughs> NFC. Well, they'd get a buy, though. They wouldn't uh, They wouldn't be able to play them in the first week, so. Let's see. Where are we at? Or wait. Well, I guess if it's eight teams, well, if it's yeah, eight no team, one gets a buy, right? There is no buy in the eight-team format. It's eight versus one in week one of the play. Now, that's a lot of playoff games that weekend, which, of course, for us, yeah. you know, as fans, that's amazing, right? I mean, you got eight playoff games, four from each conference going on. So, you know, it's going to be a pretty cool Saturday and Sunday that that sets up. It doesn't reward a team like the Steelers. And, you know, one of the big things that, that I, I want to focus on with this is you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers who are off to the franchise best start. And for the Steelers to have a franchise best start of 9-0. and 9-0. It, it doesn't seem right, but it is. You know, it's 9-0. and The first thing that we talked about, you know, before we launched the show was... Is there anybody on the Steelers' schedule? And again, there's always trap games, and there's a couple of them we had talked about that we think for certain, or as certain as it gets, is going to be that one loss in that L column for Pittsburgh right now. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I said the Bills, um, and I, I stand by that. I think the Bills will give them the best uh, game. Um, I know, I know you guys are talking about the Ravens having the possibility of upsetting or even the Colts, but I'm going to stick with the Bills. I think the Bills get that win. I think, uh, that's the only real game on the Steelers schedule all year is the Bills. It's tough. I, I mean, Ravens, Bills, and Colts. I mean, those are, yeah, the, the three games that you think like maybe it'll be one of those teams. And then who else do they play? The Jaguars, Washington, Bengals, and the Browns. So they got two division games to finish it off. You know, teams they just whooped on. And then uh, Washington, the, uh, you know, who knows? that They're in Pittsburgh. Maybe this is the week where the Steelers just randomly lose because they're playing the Jaguars. <laughs> and, like, literally, you know, every single dollar – of betting wise is going to be on the Steelers no matter what. Maybe it's just one of those weeks where the Jaguars somehow randomly do it. They are in Jacksonville. And, yeah. and you're, you're absolutely right because historically they have been a thorn in the side of the Steelers. Uh, you know, you think back to playoffs years ago when David Gerard beat them. You know, I think that was the last playoff berth for the Jaguars. Memory, I mean, it may not be accurate, but I, that was the last time I remember. Um, and that was an upset. But realistically speaking, if the Steelers take care of business, we are definitely in agreement that there's only three games on the schedule where we think a team could beat them. You know, assuming there's no injuries, assuming Ben's, you know, able to play all seven remaining games, I think the most entertaining aspect of this is, yeah, you know, you could potentially see a 16-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> having to play without a bye, against a team like the Ravens in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> that's such a 2020 thing to happen, right? too. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, <laughs> but that's it. As you look at it, you have Pittsburgh number one, Kansas City number two, the Bills three, the Colts four, Dolphins five, and number six, you have a tie between the Ravens, or actually we can go up, you know, to number 
five, you have a tie between the Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, Raiders, and Titans, which you just listed a little while ago. Any of those teams are going to go up or down. But if we play the, okay, Pittsburgh does beat Baltimore on Thanksgiving, well, then the Ravens surely will fall. The Raiders probably will, and I'm sure the Browns will blow a few. But you're right. I mean, it's such a 2020 thing to say that the Ravens, who were a Super Bowl favorite going into this season, <laughs> becomes the number eight number eight seed in the playoffs <laughs> and takes on, in week one of the playoffs, a potentially undefeated 16-0 Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. And that, you know, that's the it. third time you play a team, that's so hard to beat a team three times. So that might be the blemish on their record unfairly because <laughs> of the way this is going. But as someone who's not a Steeler fan, I think that would be poetic justice. And like, what if they beat? What if the Steelers beat the Colts in Week 16? That helps the Titans end up, you know, getting first place in that division, and then they end up playing the Colts like back to back. Very you next know, Colts, week, you're right. Go, <laughs> two weeks after that, but I mean, still could be. You're that'd be wild. Right. And that's that's what it's so crazy. And then you know, in the shadows, lurking in the shadows, some way, somehow. Only two games out of a playoff spot right now sit the New England Patriots with this newfound smash-mouth football that they're doing that, you know, the score wasn't a blowout last night against Baltimore, but it really felt like it could have been. Where it felt like there was really, at least from my standpoint watching it, even though Baltimore had a chance at the end as they were driving, it really didn't feel like they were going to pull it out. You know, I kind of chalked it up as a loss already for them and a win for the Patriots, even as that was all going on. And it was, you know, entertaining football still. But I couldn't believe that. You know, I think they said that Belichick and Josh McDaniels were talking about how this Patriots team is what it is, and they only do a few things really well, and that's really, really block well uh, with for the run game and run to where your offensive line is blocking. So that's going to be their new offense. And it felt like watching the Giants, I don't know if you guys remember this, watching the Giants play back in the early 90s where they had guys like Otis Anderson and, you know, I think Dave Maggett and Maurice Carthon. You know, you don't doubt you guys remember them unless you were playing Tecmo Bowl. But <laughs> that's all those teams did that Belichick was part of the staff is run, 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 run. And then Phil Sims or Jeff Hosta, they would throw the ball, you know, to the tight end who'd make a play at the time. I think it was Mark Bravaro and like Howard Cross or something like that. And then the Ingram brothers, I, I think, I don't know if the Ingram brothers were there. I don't remember. I, I remember Mark Ingram was there. The father was the receiver uh, for the Giants at that time. And I can't really remember, you know, who the other guys were. Uh, but that's kind of the point is that their offense was not, a, you know, a fun offense to watch. Their defense played solid, a lot like this Patriot team. And they ran the ball ridiculously a lot like this Patriot team. So even though they're two games out and you see, you know, there's a lot of really good teams ahead of them, I don't see Baltimore disappearing. or Even the Raiders or Titans or Browns disappearing at this point. And I certainly don't think the Dolphins will disappear. But somebody will out of that batch. You know, we'll talk again in four weeks or so, and one of those teams will likely fall off, and there's a chance that the Patriots are right in the midst of that. You know, and that's what makes this whole thing really entertaining. Out of the AFC... Aside from the Steelers and aside from the Chiefs, who do you guys think 
is the potential Super Bowl contender now? The Dolphins. Bills. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> really? I thought you were going to say the Dolphins, so I was trying to sneak it in yeah. and steal it from you. <laughs> no, I think but, it's uh, a matter of time for Tulo to go, go down. The thing with the Dolphins that I keep seeing, like, just go to his first victory. He literally needed – he didn't even need to throw 100 yards in that game. Like, their defense is just ridiculous. If they stay healthy – I mean, it's just like the Giants. You know, when they beat the Patriots those couple years and it was literally on the backs of their defense, minimal offense, like, that's what the Dolphins have. Like, literally every level of the defense, they got studs. So you yeah. think the Dolphins are the team that could upset? everybody in the AFC minus, you know, the big two. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the, that's the not obvious team. You know, I mean, obviously I think the chiefs and the the Steelers are really the favorite to get there, but if there was like a sneaky team to, you know, just get in there and make some waves in the playoffs, I think it's going to be the dolphins. Right, how about you little dubs? Who do you think? I think the bills. I mean, obviously I'm not going to take the dolphins, but I think the bills, um, after watching both of those teams back-to-back weeks, um, you know Alex is right. The Dolphins' defense is is playing really well. So I, I mean, I could see an upset um, to either, you know the Dolphins upsetting either the Chiefs or the Steelers, depending how the bracket falls down. Um, but I would not be surprised if that does happen and the Bills upset somebody on the other side of the bracket and we get a Bills-Dolphins AFC Championship game. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I hope not, but it wouldn't shock me if that's what happens. So so let's play this out, okay, real quick. As is, Steelers first, Chiefs second, Bills third, Colts fourth, okay? The bottom four teams. So number five, we would see week one in the playoffs, the Dolphins versus the Colts. We would see the Ravens versus the Bills. The Browns versus the Chiefs and the Raiders versus the Steelers. As is right now, the Titans would be out. Okay. Okay. So just just play with me here for a little bit, all right? Potentially. And it all depends on what happens this weekend and you know a week from now, you know, on Thanksgiving. But there is a potential first round matchup between if if the Ravens fall and the Raiders fall. Okay. Or the Raiders stay the same, in fact. Or go even go up one, uh, but the Ravens fall. We could see the Steelers versus the Ravens week one, which again it's hard to beat a team three times. Yep. We could see the Raiders versus the Chiefs week one. Raiders who have already beaten Kansas City. And in that, you kind of get the feeling that the upsets brewing somewhere between those two teams. That if that's potentially it. So that would open the door for a team like the Dolphins or the Bills to march their way into the Super Bowl. Or again, a team like the Patriots and the Titans, should the Browns and maybe, you know, I guess Dolphins potentially fall out. But just given what we got going on with these eight teams, I think we're really headed towards a really fun weekend. If they do this top eight team thing, okay? If they don't, Pittsburgh gets the bye, you know, we kind of go from there and see what happens. Uh but it will be a very intriguing potential. That's the AFC. Okay, AFC is filled with intrigue. Now we look at the NFC, and not much more is clear in the NFC right now. Currently, you have the Packers and the Saints, both at 7-2. and two. 
with the Packers, you know, being the number one and Saints being number two. The Bucks are number three, although they won't be number three because they're number two in their division. Currently, that would make the Cardinals number three and the Bears number four. Okay, with the Bucks being number five, Seattle being number six, the Rams being number seven, and the Lions being number eight. So that one doesn't seem like there's so many wild cards because realistically, are the Bears really going to beat Seattle or the Bucks? Probably not in a playoff game. Are the Lions going to beat the Cardinals again? I don't think so. Are they going to beat the Saints or the Packers? I don't think so. So I think that one we're seeing that the cream rise to the top. Now, I think I totally blew this one because the Eagles are actually the number four seed in this. <laughs> But they shouldn't be. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Three, five, and one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so it would be this: the Packers, the Saints, the Cardinals, and at number four, the Eagles. Number five would be the Buccaneers. Number six would be the Seahawks. Number seven would be the Rams. No, it'd be the other way around, wouldn't it? Well, it says right now Seahawks have the tiebreaker. That. How? How? Yesterday I, the, the yesterday. The matchup was the Cardinals against the Rams. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't work for NFL.com today. Well, either way, why don't we just say all those teams are probably yeah, that, This it, is ridiculous right? in the NFC. I, I stand corrected. I said that it was easier. This is harder. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's just because, I mean, with the AFC, it's just a little bit, I mean, not that, I mean, obviously top heavy necessarily with those two teams, but. All those six and three teams, I mean, those are like really good offensive and defensive teams. And then, you know, you sprinkle in the Eagles in here and then you sprinkle in the Bears. And like, you know, the Bears are like studs on defense and Cordell Patterson, you know, did run down a touchdown, uh, kick return touchdown, you know, not too long ago. But yeah, I think the Bears, they're going to have to do something if they're going to move past uh, the first game and playing. Who would they be playing? The so if it was eight, okay, an eight-team playoff, the Packers at number one would be playing the Bears. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you got a Lambeau matchup, which is intriguing. The Seahawks, who are number seven, you're correct, little dubs, would play the Saints. The Cardinals would host the Rams, and the Buccaneers would go to Philadelphia. And play the Eagles. Jeez. So, and be the wild card favorite to they win. They would be the wild card. <laughs> they would be number five. And they would essentially play the easiest team. You know, you know, that's what's so frustrating right now with this. Is the number one seed should play the worst team, of course, number eight. But clearly in this list, the Eagles are the worst. And number five gets to play them. Now, who knows what happens. They could lay an egg like they did, you know, two Sundays ago against the Saints, but this kind of segues us into there may be some changes coming in the NFC South with Drew Brees' injury that happened. Now, Alex, you were talking about that earlier. Go ahead and uh, keep elaborating on that. So, and then during the game, he uh, suffered multiple cracked ribs and he has a punctured lung. So... I mean, he's for sure out this week. They they didn't put him on IR, so he he could he could miss less than three games. I mean, they're not really letting not really letting uh, the cat out of the bag. I mean, they they don't even want to say who's going to be the starting 
quarterback for this week out of Jameis or Taysom. So they're just keeping a lot under wraps right now. So he's got cracked ribs. He's got a, a punctured lung. And he's 42 years old? 44, something like that? I think he's 41 or 42. Yeah, I think it's Tom Brady who's like 44. Okay. So that that's a tough situation. Now, we had talked about, and I don't think it's going to be as dire uh, as we had discussed, but you were saying that we potentially, depending on how bad or the severity of these injuries are, that could be it for the guy. Potentially. I mean, punctured lung, cracked ribs. Like, I mean, the cracked ribs aren't going to heal, you know, in a, a couple weeks. Like, I mean, just not going to happen. Like, no matter what, even if he came back, they wouldn't be fully healed. So it's like, is Jameis, if he does even halfway good, you know, and Drew Brees is, you know, 75% because he's dealing with these cracked ribs. Yeah. What do they, what do they do? Obviously, Brees is going to be their best shot to win, but... Breeze at 75%, taking one hit, you know, and then he's out anyways. Like, I'm curious to see what happens and learn a little bit more about his injury. That's just craziness, man. It's You hate to see something like that happen, you know, especially for a quarterback like Drew Breeze. But it's kind of, you know, this is kind of what happens to quarterbacks as they age. Something like this happens, you know. Kurt Warner here in Arizona, for example. He got crushed by the Saints defense, and that was it. You know, he got concussed because of the bounty, and he never laced him up again. So this this could be, you know, potentially the end of the Drew Brees era there in New Orleans and in the NFL. I hope not. I'm hoping that the guy comes back and, you know, they have this, you know, resurgence. I don't know how successful they're going to be in the playoffs. Uh, and this is definitely something that, you know, like I said, I was totally mistaken about the end. The NFC is probably more fluid than the AFC right now. But that's what's so beautiful about this season, ironically enough. In a year where it's just pure insanity, and 2020 has been nothing but pure insanity, football and the NFL has given us this parity almost where you have your haves and your have-nots, and there are a lot more haves, it seems like, this season. So we head into this second half of the year with... That going, you know, being the shadow. The Seahawks, how the mighty have fallen. Last time we spoke, Alex, I was singing the praises of the Seahawks. Last couple weeks, uh, even few weeks, they have not looked that great. And Ever I might even argue they're, they're the third worst or the third best, maybe even the, the bottom dwellers in the NFC West right now. Ever since they're by, I mean, I don't know, maybe t- Well, yesterday... With, uh, who the heck did they play yesterday? Why am I blanking on that? Who the did they Rams. play yesterday? The Rams. Yeah. So Jalen Ramsey, he would, he locked down DK the entire game. Like I think DK only had one or two targets on the entire game. I think teams are just figuring out like how to scheme either against Lockett or DK and kind of taking one of them out of the game a little bit. And if that happens, the Seahawks are just, they're just not that team. They need both Lockett and DK to get loose every game. Exactly. Exactly. It really – now, I'm going to pick on another offensive coordinator, okay? Uh, Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, okay? 
Marty's son, who was in New York with Rex Ryan several years ago. And I've never been a fan of uh, him. And it, it's funny because the offense was just looking amazing. And I remember thinking to myself earlier this season, like, man, you know, this this whole thing maybe changed. And maybe the guy's a lot better than I gave him credit for. Maybe he's a lot more innovative than I gave him credit for. Maybe it just kind of clicked. But uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Once they take DK away, it doesn't seem like they have that big play option anymore. And even though Lockett's healthy, you can take those two guys away. Maybe, you know, and they got some injuries to their running backs. Maybe Seattle's not that juggernaut that they were. I don't think so. I was never bought into them. (laughs) Well, how about the Rams? I mean, I know I wasn't alone when uh, Brian Schottenheimer is the guy I'm talking about, not Marty. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've never liked Brian Schottenheimer's offense. I thought this was probably the best that I've ever seen what he's got going on there in Seattle but uh there you go he kind of hit the wall so you know we'll see what happens the rest of the season but I had said after watching Hard Knocks and I think I had some people agreeing with me that it looked like the Rams were done that there wasn't much there and yet you look at the Rams right now they're tied for first yeah where did that resurgence come from head coach I mean, it's got to be, right? Yeah. It really has to be. Because, you know, you got Aaron Donald playing out of his mind. The defense is really solid. I didn't, I thought the defense would take a major step back when they let Wade Phillips go. It doesn't look like that's the case. Jalen Ramsey has proven that he's maybe number one, the best corner in football. Alex, am I wrong? Am I missing somebody else that would argue I'd, and I'd, dominate him? I'd have to say I'd have to say so. He, I mean, if not number one, he's a one B, but I really think he is, you know, the shutdown corner in the league right now that nobody wants to go against. And the thing about him, like Richard Sherman, for example, when he was like the shutdown corner, you know, in the league, he literally just stayed on one side of the field and that was it. You know, now play callers, they're getting a little bit more creative. They're putting people in the slot, moving people around. Ramsey follows no matter where they're going. He follows people to the slot, and he's just taking on the big challenge every single week, like no matter what, putting uh, taking away half the field. And that just makes like it makes play calling a lot easier for the defensive coordinator when one person can literally take away half the field. And he does that, man. He really does. It's going to be interesting to see how he does against the Cardinals in a couple weeks here. But they have really, really turned it on. The offense, you know, in their losses, it's Jared Goff isn't getting it done. Uh, They don't have that Todd Gurley that they've had in the past, you know, the one horse that kind of carries them. They got, you know, what was it, a three-headed Hydra there with regards to their running backs with Brown, Akers, and I know I'm missing somebody. You're going to know that, Alex. Um, yeah, Daryl Henderson. Yeah, and every week it seems like another guy is one of them is stepping up. That there's no clear cut favorite yet for who's going to be the bell cow running back in that offense. But they're moving the ball now. They had a major injury this weekend with Andrew Whitworth, and I believe he's done for the year. Okay, how do you see that affecting this team? I mean, it could be a big big change for him but I mean 
I mean, the injury happened, I want to say it happened pretty early in the game, right? So, they, I mean, they seem to take care of business without him. So I think they're, you know, I don't think it's going to affect them too much, but you will see, it will affect them, but it won't affect them as much as people think, I guess is what I'm trying to say. He's the left tackle, right? He is the left tackle. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much one of the most positions. Yeah, pretty much one of the most important positions in football. I, I got to think that that makes a little bit of a difference for him. Here's something that's uh, that's really crazy, though. I was just looking at the points for and the points against in the NFC West. Cardinals, 266 points for. Seahawks, 290 points for. 49ers, 238 points for. Rams, 216 points for. So literally the lowest scoring team, but how about points against? Cardinals, 210. Seahawks, 266. 49ers, 234. The Rams, 168. So it's their, literally their defense is what is keeping them in every single game and keeping it close. So their offense just has not had to do as much as these other offenses to get their six wins on the year. Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be fun to watch them and the Cardinals offense go head-to-head in a couple weeks here uh, after the bye week, especially if it's first place on the line, assuming the Cardinals take care of business in Seattle this week. But that kind of leads me to the catch. <laughs> and everybody who's listening, everyone who's on this call or this message right now, knows what I'm talking about. Yep. You saw it live, right, Alex? Yeah, it was wild. So um, I actually did a live stream for some of my uh, some of my website supporters, and it was me and a couple people on the live stream. And I watch all the games, and I couldn't even believe it. I mean, first, I mean the Bills, they go up, they score. Didn't really think that that was going to happen on a crazy uh, catch, uh, just route by Diggs beating Patrick Peterson, you know, by inches. Thought the game was over, and yep. what was that, 30 seconds, 35, maybe 40 seconds at the most? They get one nice play, and what they need, 55 yards to go, and Murray just eludes the sack, rolls all the way out, you know, to the to the side you didn't to think that he left. was going to roll out to, to, to the, the left. left. <laughs> Completely spun around. It was literally like a Madden play. Like, I swear I've run that play like a million times in Madden, and I can never get that to happen. And he, he got it to DeAndre Hopkins, triple coverage, and I don't know how DeAndre Hopkins came down with that. Like, it's, uh, it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Like, I, it was wild. Play of the year. Absolutely. It was just awesome. You know, I was at University of Phoenix then, or State Farm Stadium is what it's called now. Uh, the last playoff game when Aaron Rodgers threw that Hail Mary in the playoff game. Mm. Now, fortunately, it didn't come back to haunt us, but it did send the game in overtime. And it was not nearly as contested as that one was by Hopkins. When you watch that, and you notice that there's three Buffalo Bills players there, and all their hands are in the air. And it, it's so impressive because it literally looks like you know if you do the dishes and you put your forks in with all the prongs pointed up and somehow the black gloves of DeAndre Hopkins get a little bit higher than everyone else's and it perfectly falls in like I watch it and I've seen it a few times in slow motion trying to figure out how in the hell did it get into his hands versus the others (laughs) 
Like, how did the ball perfectly fall there? You know, did he place himself in the right spot for the, where the trajectory was? What was going on? Whatever it was, it was just definitely. I've seen a lot of last-second touchdowns. I've been part of a lot of la- a few last-second touchdowns, and I can't say that any of them have been as impressive as that. That was just pure awesomeness. Uh, absolutely the play of the year. I-, I can't say I've seen anything that's more impressive than that, and it's going to take something ridiculous and maybe even in a bigger game to definitely catch everyone's attention for that. I know Lil Dubs and I were, were kind of thinking that today's conversation was going to be a lot more like last week's conversation where it was grilling head coach Cliff Kingsbury or Dingleberry like I call him because of his ineptitude to, you know, do simple things. You know, last week they lost to the Dolphins for basic reasons, in my opinion, of not running, you know, right up the guard. You know, not running between the tackles, but rather he would run to the tackles at fourth and one. And then through the pass and you miss the field goal and you lose. Uh, But simple things that, you know, in my mind, you know, for all the years of football I've watched and experienced and played and coached, there's simple things you do that help you get there. Yesterday's and last night's beef, and this is where I thought the show was going to be headed, was how in the hell do you get the ball back with four minutes and 38 seconds and you don't run your four-minute, five-minute offense that is strictly designed to kill the clock. You don't just run it down the line or do your little stretch cute plays where you can waste 10 seconds and then punt the ball back with at about two minutes or under two minutes if you run it correctly. Like that wasn't even you know, a thought it appeared. And yet it takes this magical play by Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins to take that conversation. Here locally, there's been people that have noticed what I've noticed. But to take that conversation from a national perspective to, yeah, who cares that he called another mediocre game? And who cares that he maybe put another team in, in place? And he didn't call a timeout to help him kick a field goal this time like he did last week. But... You know what? It took a Hail Mary from your two best players to do this. How many more times do you think that his best players can save him from the scrutiny of what will become national media eventually? Especially as the Cardinals get more and more notoriety. I mean, this better be this better be like the writing on the wall to like not put yourself in that position, right? Cuz I mean, that was li- I mean, there was zero opportunity, you know, zero room for error, like <laughs> zero room for error on that play. And we're talking about a beyond perfect throw from Kyler and a beyond perfect catch and triple coverage. Like, I don't know, like some maybe, you know, things like this is the, the thing that just gets your team extra juvenated, you know, now first place, you know, in NFC West. And Maybe this is just something that gives them the turnaround. But, yeah, the play calling has been bad. Like, that's one thing as an outsider, just watching all the games. I, I always cringe when I watch the Cardinals games when they try to run the ball, unless if it's uh, Kyler. You know, he always looks good when he's running the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Lil Dubs? Because I know you've been a big Cliff supporter. Now, I'm just a Cliff supporter because you're a Cliff hater. That's the only reason why. So let's get that clear first. Because... <laughs> Because somebody, we can't just both bash him. 
But now that Alex is on and Alex is defending him, I can go and I can go ahead and bash him. <laughs> because Alex is 100% correct. When you have a game like that and you get saved like that, the smart thing to do is open your eyes and say, okay, I need to stop getting in the way of my team. I need to stop doing these dumb things. But I feel like since last year, we've been saying that about Cliff. Is okay, he's going to learn from last week's game. And then we're like, okay, well, he's going to learn from this this week. This is the week where he learns. Well, now he got that big win because his two superstar players saved him. So there's no excuses for coming out on Thursday. And if they come out flat, there's literally no excuses for it. He should have this team ready and be like, no, you know what? From the start, we're having our foot on the gas and we're not letting up. Because the moment he lets up, that's when he's going to get scrutinized right away. And believe me, hopefully we can have Alex on next week if that does happen so that you and I can both blast Keith, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, uh, it's going to be a definitely a, a very interesting. Um, now, now, let me kind of go into detail though, Alex and, and Little Dubs. This is where my beef with Cliff lies, okay? In college, when you run that offense, you can be cute. You can be gimmicky. You can send every single guy legally in motion to the same side. You could pretend to go right and then have him come around like arena football and because he's going behind you. You can do all these nifty little, you know, misdirection. I'm going to take your eyes from this side of the field and put it over there. And then I'm going to do something cute over there. I get it. Especially when you have linemen that are bigger, better, stronger, and faster than your mediocre opponents. Okay, And when you have talent like Patrick Mahomes, for example, that is more talented than what the defense can throw out there against you, okay, it makes sense that these cute plays, these gimmicky plays, these let me send Eddie Isabella to the right and then have him come all the way around and we're going to pretend to give him the ball and I'm just going to throw it to him on a little screen because everyone's going to be blocking downfield. I can see how that would work in college. I can see how that would work in high school. I could see how somebody who loves this air raid offense would watch that play and cream themselves if they were coaching high school or college against a mediocre team or even grade school against a mediocre team. Because you're right, the old plays are going to work. But in these scenarios that I'm coming up with, the talent level is far superior on the side of the offense that is doing the gimmick. What my problem with Cliff is, is I don't think he respects the defense's ability and abilities of talent as much as he should, which is why he tries these plays over and over again. And even though they're failing every single week for one and a half seasons now, you know, he had 16 games last year, he has nine games right now. So we're talking in 25 games, none of these gimmick plays have been positive. We joked about how he has this special screen pass he throws. And pay attention to it on Thursday. He'll throw multiple receivers and tight ends out to the right. Send a guy in motion that's a receiver. Have him set. Kyler take a step back. Throw the ball about three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then that receiver, DeAndre Hopkins sometimes, 
has to make all these guys miss because on paper, your tight ends and your receivers that are in front of them are doing a great job blocking and creating this huge lane for him to run through. In the NFL, defensive backs don't fall for this. And because it's the same play, and here I am just a man watching this, not getting paid to watch this. If it's Ken Norton Jr. doing this, he's going to be able to tell them, hey, they go trips right over here and send them in motion. It's a screen pass. Just split the difference between the two receivers and you're going to get in the way. That's my beef with his offense, is he does these gimmicky cute plays so much in a game that even last night, you know, he did them where we're trying to kill the clock and there we go. Everyone's pretending to do, you know, misdirection and motion of the right to the left and the plays don't work. So that's where I'm at. So, Watch it this weekend or this, uh, this Thursday. Let me know what you see. Little dubs, am I off here? I mean, we talk about this during the game. I mean, you're you're not. But, I mean, okay, question. Do you just not like the wide receiver screen when he runs it because it doesn't work when he runs it? Uh, I don't Or like, do you not like it no, in general? No, no I because call, as a coach, I call the wide receiver screen often. Very often. Because the wide receiver screen works when the situation is correct. Okay? But again... It only works when your talent level can do it. I don't think the Cardinals have the talent level to do that. I think they have the talent level to do a lot. But let's just take the players, you know, break it down, right? The average NFL cornerback is between five foot ten and six foot two. Are we in agreement with that, Alex? Yeah. Okay. The average Cardinals receiver, other than Larry Fitzgerald and DeAndre Hopkins, is shorter than six feet tall. Are we in agreement with that, Lil Dubs? Yeah. Okay. So he's got a five foot ten or whatever it is, five foot nine, five foot ten, Christian Kirk. You got the six two, six plus, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Larry, right? And then he throws mm-hmm. a big tight end out there who isn't known for blocking. So in Madden the play would work. Because in Madden the computer tells you Oh, this guy's going to block even if his blocking is 30. He's going to get 3 out of 10 blocks. So you could run the play 10 times. It'll work 3 times. In the NFL, or even in a situation where you have it, if that doesn't match up, and it doesn't match up with the talent we have, because what are you going to put, Andy Isabella out there to block this 6-foot tall corner? No. Are you going to put Christian Kirk out there to block the 6-foot tall corner? No. Are you going to put your slow tight end out there who's six foot five but can't get to the six foot tall corner? That's what he's doing. And then who are you going to throw the ball to? Are you going to throw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald who's not fast anymore? Or are you going to throw it to your best receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, two to three yards behind the line of scrimmage and hope that everyone else I named can magically block for him? That's, That's what's my crazy because. Because the uh, the wide receivers who are the best blocking wide receivers are Hopkins and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. So if it's not those guys like blocking, the wide receiver is probably going to get blown up anyways. And that's exactly what's happened, Alex. Every single time, I think he's maybe in in twenty five games. He calls it. At, it seems like he's calling. He calls it between one and five times a game. Now I think Kyler's been audibling out of it. I could be totally wrong, or maybe he's just not doing it as frequently. 
I think the most yards we've seen him gain doing it in all 25 games that he's coached the Cardinals so far is maybe a four to five yard game. Is one play. Now, if you try a play 25 times and it gets you five yards one time, but less than five yards and negative yards the other 24 times, what do you do with that play? Throw it away. <laughs> exactly. Not if you're Cliff. This keeps doubling down on it. I don't know. And I guess that's like, well, like Sean McVay for a little while. Um, I mean, I guess last year, a little bit more than this year, when it just seemed like the offense wasn't working. You know, it just seemed like they doubled down more on the things that wasn't working for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And that's the stubbornness, I think, of the offensive-minded head coach is you've seen it work so well everywhere else you've been. And you assume, well, it worked last year when we threw it to Cooper Cup. And it worked the year before when I did it to Cooper Cup. Now I got, you know, I still got Robert Woods. And now I got, you know, whoever else out here. They can do it as well. And when it doesn't work, it becomes, oh, that was just a great play by the defense. It doesn't become, well, we don't have the people to pull this play off anymore. Let's try something else. And if it's there in the situation, I mean, shoot, you got two receivers, and we see it all the time. You got two receivers on one side, and there's only one corner. Guess what play I'm calling? And guess what play they should be calling? The wide receiver screen. Because in that moment, if one receiver gets in front of the corner and the other one catches it, he's gone. And we've seen guys like Josh McDaniels do that. It's not necessarily this year, but historically speaking. Okay? with the Patriots who do run a good wide receiver screen. We've seen the Steelers do it this year, however. Okay? And even last year, I think we were taught, there's a play that was a big deal. I remember it. For me, it was, they had done the wide receiver screen play on the first series, and on the second one, they did a pump, and they released the man that was blocking, who was Juju at the time down the seam, and they hit him for a touchdown. Okay? Those are the kind of things that that play sets up, which is why I do like the play, little dubs. But for the Cardinals, I just don't think they have the ability to do that. I mean, maybe they're doing it in practice and it looks great. And I'm sure on the whiteboard or the chalkboard, whatever he uses, you know, it looks amazing against nobody that's alive. But it just doesn't work for the Cardinals. So just scrap that play. Scrap some of these cute plays. Try to be a little more conventional. And I think that this team could do something great this year. Yeah, but, I could agree with that. But if he doesn't, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's like, you know, how excited do we get over the Bruce Arian 10-win teams? I mean, we were pretty excited. At the time? How but about I mean, now? At the time, yeah. And now we're just like, you know, man, those are good times, but he but, yeah, right. set us uh, up for anything Arians later was, on. Yeah, he did okay, yeah. but I mean... He never took us to the championship. The only one he took and us Ky to, we got destroyed in. Yeah. And Kyler, it just seems like, you know, you got a quarterback like that, it just seems like the sky's the limit, and especially Absolutely. on the rookie rookie contract. And, the, and that right there is what frustrates me the most, Alex. That right there is, there's, you know, people look at this and you're like, oh, he's only 22 or whatever he is, 22, 24. And he is. He's young. And... The team has some talent that's fairly young around him. What they're not seeing is this window is only a two-year window. 
Because in three years, Kyler wants to get paid. And if he and keeps playing like this, it. Kyler's going to get paid. And when Kyler gets paid, unless they keep putting young, good talent, I don't mean Andy Isabella's around him, you got to replace guys. And even next year, you're probably going to have to replace Larry Fitzgerald. You're probably going to have to replace Patrick Peterson. And even though they're not what they once were, people aren't looking at this from a standpoint of, oh, we have all this time. You don't. The opportunity's now. Because next year, you know, the 49ers could be back. The Rams could be back to even being better than they are this year. Seattle might figure something out in the offseason and get a better, you know, offensive game plan or a better defense, whatever it might be. You know, and then there's always a team that we always don't know that surprises everyone. As far as we know, the Cowboys could turn it around and be the dominant <laughs> team next year. Should Dak come back healthy? One thing that I will uh, that I will say, the way that the Chiefs paid everybody this year and like in the preseason before the draft and all that I remember them saying that the Chiefs had like a hundred dollars in um, in cap space or something ridiculous. Like maybe not a hundred, maybe it was like a thousand or something really, really, really low. And somehow they gave Patrick Mahomes a half a billion dollars. They paid Travis Kelsey, restructured him. I mean, I, I can't even remember how many other guys they got deals done with this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the rookie, you know, the rookie deal. I think it's just, I don't know, like maybe that's just something that that they make us think is a thing because they don't want to come up with creative contracts like they did for someone like Mahomes. Sure. But again, you, you look at the Chiefs. Chiefs are a good example, right? You have a rookie running back that they have, right? Yep. You have the backups being a journeyman in Le'Veon Bell, who they just picked up recently, and a guy like Williams who's probably not getting paid much. They are taking care of their critical pieces. I mean, you got Tyreek Hill getting paid, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes. But who else is getting paid there? Not Hardman, not Robinson, not everybody else on that offense. So they are those pieces that are extra. They just have hit on some really solid players with regards to the NFL draft, but at least fitting their system. Defensively, aside from Tyron Matthew, who else has gotten paid there? Clark, maybe. Yeah, Clark got uh, he got extended to a big contract. Yeah, so see they, and that's kind of it. Is really you look at that roster. Five guys have been paid. You know, we got two on defense, and we got three on offense. The quarterback, a receiver, and the tight end. You look at a team like Arizona, where they already got the receiver under contract with Hopkins. They'll have to get the quarterback. They already got Buda Baker, so you have the one defensive player. You know, at least right now you have Chandler Jones potentially, assuming he's here. You have that one. Who will be the fifth guy that they lock up that they can build around? Is it going to be Christian Kirk? Because if that's the model, that absolutely is going to work. What's going to be interesting is to see what a team like Baltimore does. Because Lamar didn't get his deal yet, right? Or did he? No, he didn't. This is his third year. This is his third year. He was uh, he played halfway through the uh, first season that he got. I think he got in there week eight or nine, and then last year was his first full season. 
Yeah, so Lamar will get paid maybe next year or the year after, which is probably why they could go get all that defensive talent with guys like Calais Campbell, okay? Is that it, there is that opportunity. So, you know, my, my point is is that the money is going to be spent. It's got to be spent. What people aren't understanding is it was easy to spend this year because you had an inflated salary cap. Next year, the rumor is that it's going to go down substantially, and I think I've heard, you know, to like the 170s realm. Okay. Which Aren't they getting like a new TV deal? Isn't that coming in soon? Yeah, too? but it has to. This one's actually tied to revenue, and because revenue's down due to COVID, obviously no one's in the stands. You know, with the exception of what, like ten percent of the stadiums. Um, now they're using that, so you're absolutely right. It's just owners being owners. They don't want to pay the people. You know, in the perfect world, you have a situation where you can control. Where you have wrestling. You know, where a Vince McMahon can lock up people at whatever contract and use them however they want, whether it be for a high number or a low number, they're owning them for a long time. Versus like an NBA where you get these massive max deals or an MLB where you have unlimited potential to earn. Okay? And we're seeing guys like, you know, Clayton Kershaw get ridiculous numbers and Mookie Betts get ridiculous numbers, right? Like Trout. Manny Machado. Yeah, Manny Machado, Machado there. You're right. Mil. Ridiculous numbers where it's just, you know, it's not even real money anymore. It's so much. Okay? Is that... What was Mike Tr- What was Trout's... Uh, what's his contract right now? I mean, I know Patrick Mahomes beat it. Yeah. But I, I don't remember. I think it's pretty it's good. It's like 400, something. right? 450, something it's, like that? It, it's in the 400s range somewhere. Yeah. yeah it, it, you know, it's obviously ridiculous. Um, still like forty million a year or whatever it is, and again, that's my point is that the NFL is not like that because they have the salary cap. You know, the M- NBA has a salary cap, obviously, but it's a little different with what they can do and how they kind of cheat it with these sign-in trades and such. But the NFL, you know, I think in their perfect world, because they have more control financially than the other leagues do, is you know, it's just my opinion is I think they're doing this, and they're going to use it as an excuse to not have to pay players so much. But it is going oh, to hurt yeah. other teams, because I think we're going to see a bunch of free agents that don't sign until middle of the season when they see who they actually have a chance to win a ring with. Yeah, and I mean, Jerry Jones, he's like the godfather of this salary cap. Like, his his whole idea of getting it uh, instituted way back whenever, you know, uh, money just started becoming a big thing, but I don't know. I wish it was more like basketball or baseball or whatever, even soccer. Like, man, let these billionaires pay for some wins. Like, I mean, no matter what, I just feel like with the salary cap, there's teams that are just not playing to win a Super Bowl. No matter what, like front offices, you know, obviously the players are and the coaches are and stuff, but I don't think front offices are doing literally everything they can under the sun to, uh, you acquire the talent, keep the talent that, you know, could get them over the edge because of probably a few dollars in the grand scheme of things to a billionaire. Yeah. And one of the things that we had talked about, I think it might have been off the air, was that, you know, I, I was, I think it was with Bretsky actually. I was kind of brainstorming with the idea of why isn't the NFL more creative at the trade deadline? Okay. Why don't we see these moves where, you know, we're going to, hypothetically, I'm going to pick Patrick Peterson, where the Cardinals might want to move Patrick Peterson for a draft pick, but 
They can't because they eat the contract and then the other team eats the other half of the contract remaining. But in baseball, we see a situation, I think even in basketball, where, you know, if the Padres acquire a player from the Dodgers, you know, whoever it may be, um, let's take someone from the past like Andre Ethier, who's making a load of money, and he would go to a team, a small market team like the, uh, the, the Padres, where you'd see the Dodgers pay like half his salary, even though he's no longer on the team. So they've paid his salary to a point, and they pay his salary, you know, in an increased amount, so that the Padres, you know, or even the Diamondbacks have had players where they haven't paid any of the salary for a player they've acquired that's a big-name player because the big market team was covering it. You don't see that in the NFL. And I was kind of wondering with him, why don't you see that? Because I think that would increase the trade potential for players, where you would see, okay, you know, Hypothetically, last year, the Cardinals were out of it, but you know, they could sure use another first-round pick, trade Patrick Peterson to the Broncos, which is where the rumor was at the time, or whoever it was, Kansas City, you know, trade it to them. And if Kansas City makes the playoffs with him or the Super Bowl with him, it becomes a first-round pick, and they're picking up you know, all of the money that's owed to them from the Cardinals, you know, recompensating the Cardinals so that they do have more money to play other players. You know, just something creative, but you see the NFL not wanting to do this sort of thing, okay? Or even rewarding a, you know, we're going we're gonna to acquire Patrick Peterson, and we're going to acquire his $8 million, but because we're acquiring and we're sending a second or first round pick, which again makes this trade a lot sexier than a seventh, right? You know, we're going to send a first or second round pick, because we're doing that, now none of his salary counts towards our salary cap at any point that he's a Kansas City Chief moving forward. They got the money. He's still getting paid. They lost a first-round pick. Why isn't that doable? It kind of annoys me because we're talking about billionaires, you know, and, I mean, they should be creative when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it just seems like, I mean, literally everything in the NFL just seems so reactionary. They're not really, you know, if they don't have to change anything, it seems like they would stay the same, you know, forever just because it keeps working. But you see, like the NBA, I mean, probably worldwide, they may even be more popular than the NFL, you know, right now, worldwide. And it's because of how they promote their players and, you know, the players are their own individual brand, you know, at the same time. And I don't know, NFL is just all about the teams and that's it. And every guy, you know, there's only a couple important guys like in the league, you know, as far as the NFL is concerned or the guys that they highlight. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting, man. It's I think there's a lot they could do. They just refuse to do it, you know. But I guess that's the world of the NFL with a bunch of billionaires running it. And we'll see. Gotta get some youth. Right. That's what it is. Gotta get some youth in the uh, in the owners' boxes somewhere because uh, it's all the same guys that have been there forever. Yep. Well, I'm trying, brother. I'm trying. So I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Alex. Before we let you go, man, um, I want to do the picks. So who is your lock of the week and who is your upset of the week? Give me one sec. Let me get the schedule. You got yours, little dubs? Here. Yeah, I can go. Go for it. Who's your lock of the week? All right. My lock of the week is going to be the Packers over the Colts. Okay. And who is your upset of the week? Ooh. 
upset of the week. I'm going to go Falcons over the Saints. That's an upset. That's that's a good one. I was looking at that one. You know who your lock of the week is, Alex? Lock of the week. I mean, it's got to be the Steelers over the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, I that, agree. Uh, that, that's what's funny, but I guess this might be one of those trap games like I was talking about earlier because right. all signs point to that being like hands down the easiest game of the week that anybody's going to win. <laughs> and for the upset of the week, I think I'm going to go with, I mean, I guess this isn't that much of a, of an, well, you know what? I was going NFC East versus uh, AFC North. But I'm going to switch it. I was initially going to do Washington over the Bengals, but I'm going to go the Eagles over the Browns because there's no way that the Eagles should be beating the Browns, but Browns uh, seem to shoot themselves in the foot here or there. Yeah. No, no, I can see that. I'm going to go with, uh, man, my lock of the week is going to be the – you know what? I might have just changed my mind. (laughs) Again. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with it. Lock of the week, I'm going to go with the Chargers. Chargers at home against the Jets. I think the Jets have been playing a lot better. They still suck. So I think the Chargers are going to pull this one out. But my upset of the week is going to be the Cowboys going to Minnesota. I think uh, we're going to see something happen that shouldn't. There's no way that the Vikings should lose that game, in my opinion. But I think they will. Uh, I think we'll be surprised again with this quarterback. And I think it'll be fun. You know, there might be something good. Um, you feel pretty good about the uh, Cardinals going to Seattle, gentlemen? Um, I have a... I, yes. Ooh, man, you're not convincing me. I, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, I can see the game going one or two ways. Well, uh, yeah, that's see... typically what happens. No, I could, see, I could see either the Cardinals blowing out the Seahawks or the Seahawks winning a close game. Okay. So, like, I don't think the Cardinals get blown out. I think if the Cardinals lose, it's going to be a very close game by, like, a field goal. But if the Cardinals win, I think the Cardinals blow the Seahawks out, which I actually think was going to happen. What do you think, Alex? you going to make a prediction there? I think that the Seahawks are going to win this one. I think it's going to be, you know, just won by a field goal, you know, last-second type thing. Uh, I hope for like high scoring games and all, you know, I'm a fantasy guy. So I always hope that it's like 43 to 42 or, you know, (laughs) something like that, where it's an amazing real game and an amazing fantasy game. I don't know. I just feel like the Seahawks at home, they're going to do enough to just uh, get that last second field goal. But this is going to be a tough game. This is going to be a tough game. I do know that. I think, man, I don't have a great feeling for the Cardinals in this one. Um, but I had a terrible feeling against the Bills. I think the Cardinals are going to win in Seattle. They've won there a couple times the last few years, and I think we're headed towards that again. I think Seattle's in some trouble. So I don't know what's going to be a blowout, uh, maybe a 10-point win. There's going to be a defensive touchdown or something like that that's going to turn the tide, and I don't think Seattle will bounce back. But but we'll see, man. Overall, Alex, thanks very much, man. Come back anytime. Um, you know, anything you want to throw out there before we let you go? Uh, if you're in the fantasy football space and you need some good advice, go check me out on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, Fantasy Football Hustler. I'm almost at 1,000 subscribes on YouTube, so we're growing like crazy. Awesome. Congratulations. We'll definitely do that. We will talk to you soon. We will get you on the show again in a couple of weeks. We'll let you know, all right? You let us know. 
how you're doing and uh, when you're available, man. Will do, will do. Always have fun here talking to you guys. All Thanks, right. man. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thanks a lot, Alex.